and since hearing that Stanchel and Beefheart spoke regularly on the phone, I've been lying awake at nights wondering what these two astonishing men might have been talking about. Killer robots, drunken aristocrats on unicycles and barbecued corpses? No, sir, I'm afraid all of our copies of the King's Speech are out on hire, but let's see what we can come up with. I'm Jim Hall. And I'm Phil Walsh, welcoming you to this eighth edition of Midnight Video. Tonight, we indulge in a little retail therapy and try to avoid being tasered, flambéed, or blasted by the eager security droids down at the chopping mall. Who's been adding plasticine penises to the garden gnomes? Trevor Howard ensures that there are no escapees from the prisoner of war camp at the bottom of his garden, as he breathes life, albeit at 80% proof, into Vivian Stanshaw's crackpot creation for Sir Henry at Rawlinson End. And a chain gang transported across a frozen landscape and bound for hard labour find that, yes, things can indeed get much, much worse. It's the Old West at its wildest, courtesy of the Cutthroats Nine. As we record this, the hot news in the UK, the front page of every tabloid newspaper, is that manufactured pop star Cheryl Cole has been uh, booted off the panel of judges for the TV talent show American Idol. Um, This is apparently because US viewers couldn't get to grips, couldn't understand a word of her impenetrable northern accent, um, and they've had to replace her with one of the pussycat dolls. How you doing, Phil? <laughs> Why, I'm all right, like. <laughs> I'm canny. <laughs> well, I just thought it's only fair to warn you. Cause I had to go, like, it's me, Cheryl. <laughs> I have had a few emails from the US for people who'd be keen to co-host if um, there are any problems. Oh, you want a pussycat doll? Um, well, Belinda Carlisle has been in touch. <laughs> Circling the Sand? Circling the Sand. I remember that one. And, um, what was the band she was with? The Go-Go's. The Go-Go's. Although I was always more of a fan of Jane Weedlin. The Stop Stops the stop stops <laughs> and uh, Oprah Winfrey's at a bit of a loose end now So oh yeah um, she's finished after 25 years mm-hmm. and yeah she's a big fan of the show um, she was a bit upset we were covering too much Peter Greenaway she said um, she'd be keen to get some Kenneth Anger or um, Derek Jarman bring on the anger on the show <laughs> oh I'm up for some anger anyway yeah. you'll be gone it'll just be me and Oprah <laughs> sweet uh, sweet talking Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah, don't lie to her. Do you remember what happened to uh, James Frey? Oh yeah, a million little, little pieces. pieces yeah. He had to publicly apologise to her on her TV show. Really? Yeah. Like, I only know that because of the South Park oh, episode. Yeah, they went by. Yeah, it was. Uh, really Oprah made him apologise. Did yeah. they do that thing with the really low? You've been a naughty, <laughs> naughty boy. <laughs> what do you say to Auntie Oprah? I'm getting quite excited as you say that. <laughs> Man. Um, <sighs> right. Um, well, we've already rambled enough. Shall we uh, head on for our first review? Yeah, let's go shopping. Woohoo! Ty, you know Paisley. He loves a challenge. <laughs> go ahead and laugh, you guys. But if I ever find a little bastard that did this, they're dead meat. They're right, Walter, right. See, you better hustle it up. Uh, you don't want to get locked up in here again, do you? They rub it in all you like. I'll be out here in ten minutes, you'll see. Frisky teens with lousy jobs down at the mall deciding to throw a racy slumber party when the shoppers have gone home has been a major problem for employers since the mid-80s. Hence their first film tonight, Chopping Mall, 
in which a collection of experimental security robots are introduced and go haywire right on cue and hunt down a clotting of trapped hormonal kids. So, chopping mall. Corman produced. Julie Corman produced. Uh, wife of Roger. I wanted to watch this because I recently got it on VHS. I've been. I went through affairs of rebuying a load of old tapes recently. Rebuying and buying stuff that I never had before. Right, with less than a year before you relocate to France, you're, <laughs> you're building up a collection of bulkier storage. I haven't got that many, so it's, it's not it's not too bad. But um, I, I just had this incredible nostalgia recently for because uh, when I went on Twitter, I've like being followed by or following people now who are really into tapes and every so often they put on um, the pictures of the tapes they've just bought and it's like when you used to buy LPs and the artwork's bigger, there's more of it, it's more interesting. It feels substantial. Uh, yeah, um, so I got Chopping Mall and it was it was great. <laughs> what an anti-climax. <laughs> it was a great cover, it's like this robotic hand with a bag full of Severed bits dripping out of it, and I was like, "This, this has got to be a winner." Good image. It's got to be a Michael winner. Yeah, I've, you know, I've totally forgotten how uh, your dreams aren't always fulfilled by a glimpse. You're constantly in a state of anticipation. Yes, this kind of thing. that's very anticipation. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. Overall, I'll, I'll just go out there on a limb. Is that I, I was bored by this. I fell asleep really? twice watching this. I was really disappointed. I thought it had so many ingredients that were going to make it into a winning dish and it just just didn't deliver for me I'm at surprised. all. And that was all things being equal. You weren't you weren't sort of blitzed after a day of gardening yeah, I mean, and uh, childcare. Or... That is generally how I am these days to be honest. Uh, you can probably hear from my uh, blocked up nose that I've had a cold as well. But yeah. I thought you were going to say you can hear from my other podcast, Gardening and Childcare. <laughs> no, I I just thought it was really dull. I mean, it was it had all the cliches that I like about films that are guilty pleasures or whatever. But I just oh, that bloody cover was so so good. <laughs> oh yeah, so, but purely the cover as it's in its own right as a film, you didn't find it was keeping you uh, entertained for about ninety minutes. Uh, okay, I'm being overly harsh. Like there, there were some no, it's seventy three minutes. All I right, it's really short. <laughs> right. um, there there are some. Okay, moments. There's some positives out there, but um, what what did you make of it? Well, um, I did find it disappointing as well. I think it was okay for what it was, but um, when you said you'd like to cover it, and I looked at the trailer, I was really pleased to see that in the trailer prominently you got Paul Bartel and Mary. Um, I have to pronounce her name right. Is it Voronoff? Do you think? I think Americans would say Warren Off, yeah. um, who will be familiar from uh, Eating Roll, who which uh, we should hopefully, I think we should definitely cover at yeah. some point. I know you've not seen that, but also uh, Bartel directed the original Death Race two thousand, which featured uh, the amazing Warren Off as uh, Calamity Jane, because mm. she's a real Amazonian figure. But um, I love the fact she's yeah Amazonian looking, but always plays someone who's mildly irritated by things and <laughs> would wish the world would just go away. I th- there's something really great about that combination, but they crop up prominently in the trailer. But at the very beginning of this film, I think it starts fantastically with this fake advert with um, an intruder at the shopping mall getting completely a cross between Michael Bean and uh, Stephen Dorff. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, this this crook getting sort of made short work of by these security robots that sort of go around on caterpillar tracks, don't Who they? Who look like Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Yeah, I guess, but I <laughs> think they're pretty good. Uh, they're pretty good robots. And they're then when right. it cut and pulled back and revealed that this was an advert, and then it had Bartel and Warren off 
making these waspish comments. Mm. I think Bartel saying, "Oh, I don't know." Three identical robots on stage. The middle one looks quite ethnic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I no, thought, "Oh, this is going to be great." Uh, I mean, I, we're, we're not here to review *Mating Rail* now, but I think that's a. I really enjoy that film, and I thought, "Oh, this is going to be the same kind of thing." Obviously, there's. Um, I think this actually came out a little bit ahead of RoboCop, but that fake advert yeah, thing and the security that's obviously going to go out of control. I thought this is going to be another great social satire, and um, yeah, it wasn't. Not at all. It just turned into a slasher flick um, that follows all the usual tropes. I mean, if you've seen Friday the Thirteenth, then it just follows on directly from the. Um, and that's what I found so disappointing. With I know people love the slasher genre, and you know, it's not really one of my favorite genres, to be honest. And one-dimensional characters being killed creatively yeah I'll give that but they're not even killed that creatively in this there's not much chopping no there is a mall <laughs> there is a mall uh, the mall that was used in Commando ah, it was um, trivia fans I, I recognised it immediately because of the um, the lifts that oh. go up and down which he did the Tarzan swing from the lifts that go up and down yeah <laughs> oh my god um, yeah so these um, quite sort of bog standard lifts yeah <laughs> but he did that amazing swing from one yeah, I was like, I've seen that before that's, that's fucking iconic but hey, uh, if you can that, find a third film we should get a little triple bill going um, but no you're completely right this uh, I had a lot of um, expectations of this and as soon as the titles are finished it becomes uh, I'm not sure about Slasher but certainly Teens in Peril and it even follows that quite puritanical feel of you know the dirtier the teens the yeah, dirty right. dirty teens um the more likely they are to get uh, to find themselves on the end of a. It's a following robot. the Wes Craven scream rules, isn't yeah. it? Although the two abstaining teens are not characters you'd want to hang around with at all, are they? I mean, no. I can't even remember the character's name, which is unprofessional of me because I should have written it down. But he looked a lot. I really thought it was Paul Reiser from um, Aliens yeah. and uh, my what was it? My two dads. I get mixed my two up. dads. Yeah. I get mixed up with two and a half men now. They just <laughs> keep following around. But yeah, he's a sort of nerd. The girl he's with, just she's such a, she's a really as a character is so uncharismatic, isn't she? Yeah, oh definitely. I mean, Tonio Dell, who plays the guy whose name we can't, character we can't even remember. He was in uh, Karate Kid. Apparently, that's on his CV. He was in the Cobra Kai. All right, has he he's kept this on his CV? I don't know. Possibly. <laughs> Yeah, but oh, well, it, maybe he has it down as Killbots. I think that was what it was originally going to be released title. as. Like. <laughs> yeah, chopping miles a bit on the nose. Um, but yeah, it, basically, it's teens in peril with an awful lot of gratuitous. Uh, well, they're not really teens as well. It's that age or eighties well, thing of you know they're mid twenties. Yeah, supposedly, on. I mean, they're all people with low paid jobs at the shopping mall who've decided to stay over the night. Um, but yeah, a, but the pizza, depart- the pizza girls, like the girls who work in the pizza restaurant, they're wearing like Lacoste polo shirts, which cost about 70 quid <laughs> yeah, that's the Hollywood Dream Factory yeah. <laughs> but yeah a, an awful lot of gratuitous uh, tits and ass in this including that one shot I told you it's not all up. bad <laughs> <laughs> there's the one shot that's just like about 30 seconds on this girl's ass as she's uh, walking off to meet her fate well it's just pure Corman isn't it you know it's uh, TNA it? blood you know not that there's that much blood Dick Miller Dick, oh yeah, p- reprising his character from, from Bucket of Blood. Um, apparently so. 
but that's Walter Paisley, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I say apparently so because this is something. It's all. It's not Dick Miller's fault, but he often is trotted out in these films. Uh, usually, ones by Joe Dante. I only know him as the guy who crops, crops up being referenced to. I've never really seen those original movies, and it just—it's not his fault, but it does annoy me that it's just like, well, who is he? He's well, for me, he's always Gremlins. Like, yeah, he's always attached Joe to Gremlins. Dante. Yeah, exactly. But. Um, but Bucket of Blood I've got at home and I've still not watched it yet. Well, we've not actually covered any John Corman. John Corman? Roger. Any, any Jarman <laughs> yet. We've not covered any we Roger We should do a Jarman and a Corman. Jarman, Corman. Oh, we need Bergman. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we have to do the three men. Yeah. And we need a little lady as well then. Oh, now I'll be, da- I'll be up for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dick Miller crops up as a janitor. Although that's that's that was a bit I enjoyed because you're expecting him to be the first violent victim of this uh, <laughs> yeah. when the killbot goes crazy. But it's quite uh, it it um, it's a your expectations if that's not too fancy. Yeah, he's uh, I like the way he's sort of effing and blinding at this uh, robot and. Yeah, you're really expecting something big to happen. Sorry, I could just imagine that on his CV. Specialities, effing and blinding at a robot. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a film part for you, Mr. Miller. Again, though, that when like someone has a little cameo like that, and that's a highlight, it's it smacks of a quite poor film. Um, Uh, Well, there was there was another element I thought you'd like because I enjoyed it. Um, Packing passporting goods. Yeah, a lot of. uh, (laughs) See, I don't like all of those gags because they. Cheap. They're cheap. They seem to be quite um, in jokes for. Are you in the know? That kind of thing. Mm. I think it. You know. Do you watch exploitation yeah, movies? Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I thought you might enjoy the soundtrack. No. No. No, I didn't like the soundtrack. All right, because it's quite a sort of um, it, boppy synth. I thought you. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, it was just a bit vanilla for me, really. Not vanilla ice. Um, no, I thought it sounded. A bit, do you know Wall of Voodoo, an old eighties band? No. Uh, oh well. We don't need the reference. I should maybe find out about them. Like I say, the main disappointment for me with this was I was expecting a social satire from the first five minutes, and it just didn't deliver that at all. Um, however, it's odd. When did it come out? 87. Because um, were you watching Doctor Who at that period, the Sylvester McCoy? Yeah. Because um, there was with a, what's she called? Oh, um, Sophie. Ace, Sophie. Yeah. Sophie begins with an A I had a massive crush on her really yeah <laughs> I was like 8 years old that's forgivable exactly. isn't it yeah but Doctor Who at that point which was very very cheap but I think they were trying to do um, broad social satire and one of their stories was called Paradise Towers which I think was oh um, yeah I saw that I, I remember watching that actually. yeah which has a great setup, but sadly done with BBC budget and BBC budget actors as well so it's a embarrassment to sit through but yeah, the idea there was a high-rise um, tower block, which is pretty much self-contained, but has descended into... Um, it's split into little factions, hasn't it? With um, cannibal old women residents, um, security robots ki- uh, killing people. Didn't J.G. Ballard do this in Absolutely. 1971 or what? Um, no, yeah, I've, I've the, I remember the guy who wrote it said it was meant to be inspired by high-rise, but that's... We don't want to talk about Doctor Who too much, but something Doctor Who did really well was to take existing things and make it into a 90-minute... Yeah. Uh, you know, give it a spin and make it into a good adventure. This... I was hoping this would be a good version of that story, but other than possibly a slightly better budget, no, it no, wasn't. It, it failed, but the robots did look a lot better. Yeah, they were all right, the robots. They weren't too bad. 
What now? Find some way out of here. We're gonna have to defend ourselves. This place got a sporting goods store? Heck and pause. Let's go. Come on. How are we gonna get in? Don't worry, I got the keys. Starting life as a strand of sketches on John Peel's radio shows before becoming an LP, artist, performer and sometime unlikely pop star, Vivian Stanshaw's lunatic world of Sir Henry at Rawlinson End also materialised as a short film released in 1980, with Trevor Howard as the drunk sodden eccentric heading a bizarre menagerie of characters haunting the grounds of his estate, including Stanshaw himself as the ghost of Sir Henry's brother. What are you doing cowering down there? It's just out of respect, sir. You're supposed to love me, you vile jelly. Take that. Um, I'm not sure how familiar a figure Vivian Stanshaw is to many people. I mean, I've I've certainly heard about him. Um, I've seen documentaries on him. In fact, after watching this, I did dig out. I realised I had on video a documentary from about eight years ago, uh, which I watched again. So obviously I have some interest in him, although I've never really looked into his work. And is someone, if anything, I felt obliged to like? Is this, uh, you can only really like the cliches, eccentric, original kind of figure. I'm not sure how helpful it is, but he'd often get lumped in, and I'm going to do it now, with people like Spike Milligan. Peter Cook, Graham Chapman of Monty Python and um, Ivor Cutler. The thing I'd say they have in common is all of those people, um, not that I ever knew any of them, but they were like that anyway. Um, They weren't people who cynically decided to get into showbiz. You you got the impression they were 100% like that all the time and they happened to have an outlet um, and talent. Uh, but yeah, Viv Stanshall's someone I've never really got to grips with, and I I knew I knew about this film, but had never seen it, so I was looking forward to it. And I've got to admit, it left me pretty cold. I just didn't really get the humour in it at all. Interesting. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree, <laughs> but um, th- for me, I I read not long ago Chris Morris's a biography about Chris Morris the the comedian or yeah. writer or director whatever you want to call yeah. him well, I'm not going to call him a satirist because he hates that apparently <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that he's going to be listening I think he'd, he'd, <laughs> he'd hate comedy terrorist even more, <laughs> oh my god yeah. I know that he was a big fan of the Bonzo Dog Dudo band which was fronted by Stanshall mm-hmm. but then it took um, again Horatio Huffnagel you are getting getting your money's worth out of us honestly especially because he's not paid anything yeah <laughs> uh, because he mentioned this on the Mondo uh forum and I sort of thought oh yeah that sounds interesting it sounds intriguing so I um, I've been listening to his radio stuff that he did for Peel so that's like the background for Mm -hmm. Sir Henry well for the movie so I've been listening to that quite a lot like basically cycling to and from work every day and I've become really familiar with that so I really got to feel that I knew these characters through Stanshall's um, oration yeah of them, you know, he 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 breathed in a certain kind of life to them, which because it was my first my first encounter with them, they're ingrained in that sort of way now. So when I watched this film, I felt like these weren't the characters that I really knew. They were kind of stripped and well, it's almost like you've had to impose something formal on them. Yes, I suppose if something yeah. exists uh, either as uh, the written word or something. I, I mean, I've not listened to Stanshall reading them out himself. Mm. But yeah, I imagine that lends something to it and it exists in its own little... It really does, because you get all the songs as well. You get the full-length songs, which are just often played in the background in the movie. I mean, there doesn't seem much to the film. It's it's just a series of 
surreal sketches at best. Skits, even. Skits, yeah. And the thing is, like, reading up on this, you you really would think it's an absolute masterpiece. That there's yeah. nothing but praise for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't I think this is a good suggestion. I'm very glad we've oh. covered it because it's absolutely the kind of thing we, uh, we should perfect. be looking at. Yeah, yeah. However, I just didn't get on with it. And it, no, you're completely right. I was going to say the same thing, even though, like I say, I've not heard Stan Shaw's originals. Um, I can imagine that it works better that way. And it's interesting that amongst the cast here, you've got Simon Jones from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. which is another famed example of something that worked brilliantly on radio. Damn, uh, you've nicked my head. <laughs> That's exactly the example I wanted to use. <laughs> uh, drunk minds think alike, yeah. But yeah, uh, when Douglas Adams wrote Hitchhikers for radio, he was completely right and realised, well, radio, no limits. So created two-headed men and blew up the earth and whatever you fancy. Then a few years later when the BBC decided to make a TV version. I've got to say it's something I'm very fond of, the TV version. But yeah. it came up against all sorts of problems because they had to try and realise this. And it's still a difficult thing to do, you know. It's still and they had to condense it as well. Yeah. You know, as, as soon as you go visual, yeah. the world becomes so much smaller, doesn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, which defeats the whole purpose. Mm. But the other thing, um, I mentioned Spike Milligan earlier, who's famous for this radio series, uh, well, amongst other things. The thing that really kicked him off was this radio series in the 50s and 60s, The Goons, which again just used the fact that you could create an image in someone's mind and kind of pull the mat out from under them. I think that was turned into a TV series with puppets in the early 60s, The Telly Goons. And you think, well, don't. It's... it's I know we're reviewing films, but this is um, this gets to the heart of something for me. There are different media. I always feel like a South African in the eighties or something. <laughs> I almost want to segregate things, and you know, my, my big bugbear is when people try and turn comics into films. I mean, that's not a discussion for now. But I do think there's something to be said for whatever medium you're working in. Take advantage of that, but don't think that oh well, film is the best possible way that a story can be told because it often isn't. No, I feel this, quite bad actually because like on Twitter earlier this week I, I put on a quote from Stanley Kubrick saying if it can be written or thought it can be filmed but now I'm just going to go totally against this Yeah, and agree with you You know, it, maybe it can be to some extent it depends how you look at it but it can be filmed, that's not to say it's any good what comes no, at the yeah. end of it but um, no, actually I will do a little digress here like I say, turning comics into films I don't agree with but the reason Watchmen is a brilliant brilliant comic but a terrible film for me is because it tried to be too faithful whereas I think there would have been room to take the comic Watchmen and adapt it into a film if they'd been much more um, imaginative with their thinking you know they hadn't been so precious about sticking to the source material they were scared of the fanboys exactly <laughs> but to get it back onto this I'm not sure the director here is a guy Steve Roberts who looking around I couldn't see much more information on writer on Max Headroom well Series. Yeah, that that sounds that could be the case. Uh, I looked on IMDb and all of the other credits were the sort of American cartoon series, and I think yeah. that's probably just another Steve Roberts that there's their um, their database has dropped a stitch. But I'm not sure what the point of trying to turn this into a film was. Yeah, it does seem futile. It really, I mean, it because it was it, always going to be a cult thing anyway, wasn't it? Oh, it wasn't like yeah. With comics, you can say, "Oh, yeah, there's a fan base there, so da -da, you know that's going to translate into something." But Stanshaw's not the X-Men. No, because there's something that um, Stanshaw's creations are very visual, but they're, they're imaginatively visual. Yeah, i.e. they, they should be in your up. head. Yeah, mm. um, in the same way that you, which I wanted to say about Douglas Adams is um, reiterate. Yeah, 
But um, this just, yeah, I mean, it's quite nice. It's got these sepia sort of black and white, or sepia toned black yeah, and white. Like brown and white, isn't it? Dishwater. Yes. Which I like it too much. <laughs> well, no, I did like that look because it did give it this old world feel. But yeah, I suppose. But it always reminded me of the introduction to. Do you remember the Sullivans in the eighties? Oh. The well, Australian. I know what you mean. I turned it off immediately. Though, oh, my grandmother when she was looking after me when I was really small, she'd pick me up from nursery and she'd watch that whilst I'd be drinking my bottle of chocolate yeah. milk or whatever. And uh, yeah. my I mom always uh, very very vivid memory of that introduction it reminded me of that <laughs> my mum was more a fan of the young doctors and sons oh, and daughters no. oh, th- I think they were probably a, a bit too uh, a bit too saucy bit, for my grandmother <laughs> but yeah the photography I think in this is very nice although I, list- I did watch it a second time with the commentary from the director Steve Roberts and a couple of the cast members lucky you <laughs> oh lucky me because I didn't um, get to I, get, I watched it and then gave it to you and yeah. not seen it for two oh, weeks well. um, <laughs> but yeah when one of the actors uh, Jeremy Child who plays one of the aristocrats in it um, says oh yeah the photography is beautiful Steve Roberts is like oh yeah someone else did that I think oh right the one thing that's really good about this uh, is nothing to do with the director because mm. the other thing we've not discussed this um, before reviewing it like you say it comes across as a bunch of um, sketches or skits that have just been thrown together were you aware that there was actually a plot Cause, really? Yeah, the commentary Steve Roberts is saying, he's, at, he's having to explain the plot to the actors, although I can kind of forgive that because it was probably some work they did 30 years earlier, you know, for a few weeks. But he was saying Derek Malcolm, who's quite a well-known yeah. British um, film critic, you know, even though this film, Sir Henry at Rawlinson End, didn't really do anything, Derek Malcolm from The Guardian put it as his top film of 1980, I think, when it came out, but then said... It has a disregard for plot, which Steve Roberts in this commentary is sort of quite irritated by, and he's going he on co-wrote it with Stanshall. With Stanshall, yeah. Mm. Well, um, yeah, but throughout the commentary, Roberts is going, "Well, if you watch this, then this is happening." But he's having to point it out to everyone, so you need to keep your eye on the background. And then after saying that, says, "Well, you need to look at this character in the foreground," thinking, "Well." I'm all for not spoon-feeding the audience and patronising them and crediting the audience with some intelligence, but if that's your approach to, you know, part of the skill of being a filmmaker is to have clarity and get a plot across. That's not interweaving anything, is it? That's just being... No, um, but apparently... Did you even realise that Stanshall's a ghost in this? No, no, I didn't know that. That went straight past me, because, yeah, yeah, um, there is a scene when a pair of trousers run off on their own, but Mm. then that's that's par for the course in this It's just surreal, is it? It's just... Bunuel or Dolly yeah, almost yeah. well we've not really described the setup of the film at all have we we've basically got Sir Henry this drink sodden aristocrat living in his huge mansion with a collection of similarly either drunk or inbred or just doolally uh, relatives but amongst them Vivian Stanshall this quite striking figure with his huge beard but like he's a ginger rasputin yeah in sepia um, <laughs> But yeah, he's he's a ghost. He's the ghost of Sir Henry's yeah, brother, no and that's idea. why that um, sort of s- it's not stuffed. There's a model bulldog, isn't there, that yes. goes around by its on it by itself, mm. uh, cocking its leg and pissing. And I just thought, well, that's just because it set up this kind of. I don't even want to use the word surreal because it's given it too much credit. But it's an anything goes type of um, thing. So yeah, whatever. You know, I I had no idea Stanshaw's character was meant to be a ghost. No, so. I didn't know that because there's there, there is a richness to like the dialogue and um, the play of language and stuff, which Stanshaw is like famous for or infamous even. 
um, because I've noticed that through listening to these old radio shows you have to listen hard to pick up on stuff and eventually it comes across how things link together but yeah. I mean this was it, I say he co-wrote it with Roberts co-wrote it but I mean apparently Stanshaw was pissed yeah. through the entire I shoot mean, he, was and he, he didn't like it either he didn't like yeah. the finished product because ah, that didn't come across in the commentary that wasn't ah, mentioned really but yeah Stanshaw was notoriously a drunk you yeah. know uh, in common with some of the other figures I mentioned earlier <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it was more he came up with, he described it and Roberts wrote it down as a script or sort of translated it into a script. I feel a bit bad for saying this because, I mean, it's a low-budget film. It's up to people what they want to make and I'm all for original um, original approaches to making films. But I do think you have an obligation to to not be willfully obscure or if you do have a story you want to convey, then do a bloody good job of it. Yeah, that obviously wasn't done here at all. I mean, no. And that, I, I had no idea because I didn't get to watch the commentary. But to say that you there is have a, to, though, should you? a narrative is is kind of a joke in itself. Yeah, <laughs> um, the first one. But yeah, this seems to be happening a lot lately. This is another film that she's only about an hour and a quarter long, but I think it's less than that. I think it may it's, only be. It's really short. It's, it's seventy minutes, maybe. Yeah. But it dragged, and I think that's part of the thing. You don't get caught up in any kind of a plot. Um, you've just got a bunch of incidents happening and so it's a little bit like I don't know if you've ever done this um, did you ever used to have uh, videotapes or DVDs which were compilations of pop videos of your yeah. favourite band and yet they because everything's chopping and changing every few minutes it does feel like a lot longer than an mm. hour or whatever Yeah. the thing is there the, the visuals were interesting <laughs> whereas this eek. so um, I mean Trevor Howard we've not discussed at all and his Sir Henry I do think he does a really good job but yeah, then, I did enjoy him. Uh, does he bring anything to it? Because he's got that baggage of being this um, what much left British character actor. But he's always playing the same kind of character, isn't he? Like I say, I'm I'm really hooked on the the audio um, renditions of this, where Stanshaw is everyone, and mm -hmm. I think that works so well. And this just doesn't even come close for me personally. And no, no matter who was. I mean, you've got um, what's she called, Sheila Reed's and yeah, kind of underused as well. I thought. Yeah, she may be a familiar face from Brazil. She's there yeah. at the very beginning as um, the wife of wife. is it Buttle? Yeah, rather Buttle. than Tuttle, who gets <laughs> carried off. Um, and Patrick McGee as well. Patrick McGee, who's sort of famed for uh, he did a lot of Samuel Beckett plays, but I'm trying to think what Clockwork else is there. Clockwork Orange, yes, yeah. and the Final Program. If you've ever seen that, I haven't seen that. No. Yeah. And yes, Simon Jones from Hitchhikers. Oh, it also features Ian McDermott. Do you know him? The name rings a bell. He's Emperor Palpatine in the Star Wars movies. Oh, God. But he's the guy, he's got this big mane of hair and just oh, talks yes. in, I think, a northern accent, isn't it? About yeah. sort of, he just comes up with trivia down the pub. Um, so I think our main gripe with this is that they've tried to turn something that was possibly successful in one form into something that it's not really suited to. Could you imagine any of the humour here really working though? Because a gripe I had with it is it seems overly keen on mentions of genitals and flatulence, which, you know, used sparingly, can be good. It seems preoccupied and a bit juvenile. I think it is juvenile, but I wonder if that's because... I mean, you do get that in the recordings. So I'll keep referring back to them, but... Um, Why not? It's... You do get those, but... It, it's not an issue, it's not a focus whereas this, I can imagine it's the the writing of someone who's just really drunk and is just mm. doing a, a job 
to get some more money and that's probably to buy the, more booze that's the nub of it <laughs> <laughs> um, were you interested in any of the characters I mean I know that's a bit of a stupid thing to the say because it's not meant was, to be um, oh, what's he called the Cockney Geezer yeah Harry Fowler Harry that's what Fowler, I've got yeah. in my notes he's, yeah, he was he, great he comes especially ac- at the beginning when he's pickpocketing pickpocketing at the wedding mm. yeah um but yeah, he comes across as something like a genuine person rather than a caricature. Yeah, he's inter- he reminds me of um, the the Cockney white boy from Dad's Army. Yeah, I think know? he's very much that because uh, Harry Fowler played that character a yeah. lot you know, throughout his career. But even I think the central joke here is that Sir Henry is drunk, uh, which I'm never. It, it, just watching this reminded me I've never thought that was a good subject for humour not because I'm sort of offended by it but I just think do you not like Arthur? I'm going to hold up my notes now <laughs> what, <laughs> oh what, shit, read that out to drunk the, uh, so not funny hyphen in brackets Arthur yeah with no question mark <laughs> and, that's and not, I haven't been looking yeah. at you <laughs> and that's not just the Russell Brand remake I mean I tried watching I've never seen the Dudley Moore one I tried to sit through it and the first few minutes are just him you know, blotto and shouting. I just think I don't. I don't want to. in s- real life generally aren't funny. I've been told this a lot. Really? <laughs> uh, I was at your stag do. Yes, yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> but watching this, one of the few things I really liked was I think at the beginning and the end. Well, throughout it, there are little points of narration from Stan Shaw, and you are thinking, yeah, I, c- I could imagine getting into this because it does have that. You know, something to bring them up again, but. Spike Milligan or I don't know if you know Ivor Cutler but again someone who mangles words and creates his own kind of logic from it and I'm curious to sort of listen to those certainly and and become familiar with them and yeah just really getting to the heart of it it doesn't work to have that up against a visual because it's one's one's detracting from the other I think you really need to be in there a pale sun poked impudent marmalade fingers through the grizzled lattice glass and sent the shadows scurrying like convent girls menaced by a tramp. When a collection of transported prisoners are attacked by mountain bandits, leaving most of their military guard dead, only Sergeant Brown and, for curious reasons, his young daughter are left to ensure the seven desperados, still chained together, get to their destination. And surprisingly, things don't run smoothly in this gruesome Spanish picture from 1972. This film, acclaimed by critics as the most violent motion picture ever portrayed on the screen... Nine. So we're about to review a film which I've never heard of and I just found out that it's being remade at the moment I think with Harvey Keitel and Mads Mikkelsen Mads Mikkelsen of Casino Royale Valhalla Rising Valhalla Rising yeah. yeah no I saw that as well I was a little bit nervous actually because I'd never heard of this but one of the, um, it was a little confusing looking around for reviews because that was cropping up as well the remake and I was concerned to begin with that this was already a known people knew the remake or something it was a bit like Inglorious Bastards right or something. yeah but yeah it's as we as we record this it's still in pre-production I think but um, I am looking forward to seeing that remake um, before we get, let's not get ahead of ourselves yeah no it'll be intriguing it's um, something I could imagine someone really doing a potentially doing a really good job with um, but yeah the first western we've reviewed I mean are you much of a, a fan I had a pretty annoying childhood of uh, being made to watch like boring traditional westerns on rainy afternoons at the weekends and that sort of put me off a bit but as I've grown up I've 
seen some spaghetti westerns and you know you have um other countries takes on western um so i enjoy them but yeah it's not something i'm overly familiar with i think there's a lot to a lot of uh, undiscovered country there yeah. i could be a pioneer um but yeah like you i'd never heard of this um it was about time we covered a western and i was looking around the internet for i think weird westerns or strangest westerns i was looking for the list and this had such a great trailer and um, I think was notorious the the very short review on the internet was going on about how gruesome it was and it is like um, the most violent western ever made oh yeah there was a lot of hyperbole in the trailer but seemed to back it up as well with that um, it, yeah it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> the shy of uh, uh, displaying the goods as it were I mean going back to your um, background with westerns I've never been a fan of the traditional stuff the spaghetti westerns I'm a little more taken with and I mean one of my happiest movie memories was when I first watched um, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly on TV when I was a teenager and you know even though that's got a fairly straight ahead plot it seemed to be going off in all sorts of really peculiar directions and I was so excited by that I mean it was it was a really good example of again you know relatively cheap filmmaking when someone's had to think round corners to keep keep your interest going the problem with that is I've seen Good the Bad and the Ugly several times since and it's um, it, it's never got the excitement of that first Lost time when sheen. it's yeah when you don't know what's coming next so I got a little bit of that watching this because the first time I've watched it <laughs> never even heard of it and again, it's got a fairly straight-ahead setup, but even within the first half hour, there are all sorts of strange things happening. I don't know. It brings to mind like Hodorowsky. You know, the there's almost like a mystical element to this film. I don't know whether that's um, lofty or. I don't think there's a spiritual mystical. There's no, a vaguely no, no. supernatural feel to it. Maybe. Yeah, that's what I meant. Although sorry. there isn't really, is that? No, it, exactly. But there's that. There's it's got aura, a lot of horror film a, imagery. Tension, and, yeah. I mean, I could just jump straight in and say, yeah, there's there's some pretty impressive gore for 1972. Um, this is this is probably like pre Dawn of the Dead by about six six seven years, and this rivals some of that. In fact, I'd say it's more in the sort of Fulci Umberto Lenzi sort of style. It's really graphic. Yeah, actually, I didn't look up the director's other works, but I'm not sure if they're bad. I don't know any. Of he has a massive jump from like making this to his next film in okay. the 80s or something. Because yeah, fairly standard things you'd expect in westerns happen. People get shot. Uh, people get stabbed. Um, yeah, there's a fire, which isn't maybe as typical. But there's no attempt to sort of hold back on those. There's, if anything, determined to go as far as possible. If anyone's stabbed, it's in slow motion and their guts fall out. And if someone really shot their out. eyeballs, are kind of all over the place. Um, and that really makes this... Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm... Uh, a ghoul, but I thought that was fantastic. It, it's so unexpected to see in something that's clearly was made in the early seventies when yeah. that kind of level of gore effects I don't think were were that prominent. No, this wasn't that prominent. long after Night of the Living Dead, which is meant to be the big sort of yeah, it's about four years in. after, isn't it? I yeah. mean, that's like we were talking about Kim Newman's book the other day, where he was he certainly doesn't make a mention of this because I've been reading it recently. But yeah, I mean, this is definitely part of that uh, tradition where films became more graphic more violent but also this whole film is just full of juxtapositions you know you have that horrible violence and then you have these bizarrely edited um, flashbacks 
which freeze frame. Yeah, and you've no idea what like, they're referring to. What, yeah, what what the hell? Mm. <laughs> Where did that come from? Because <laughs> yeah, because they're trying to give some kind of backstory, and yeah, you do sort of pick it out um, eventually. Eventually, everything makes sense, and I'm not sure if the, those scenes you're referring to, because I think there's one very early on, um, as we said in the introduction. The setup is a chain gang being transported; they get attacked by mountain bandits. When the horse and carriage they're on is out of control. Uh, the main character, Sergeant Brown, throws his daughter to safety, but then it cuts to this slow motion shot of her sometime earlier. Running through like a meadow or something. Yeah, in slow motion. And, but there's no reference to what that's meant to be. And, and it's yeah, really she, jarring, isn't and it? And she runs to her father, who's just thrown her off the coach <laughs> in a sort of cavalry uniform, mm. and then to a woman who we later find out is her mother. And I feel bad for even saying this on the podcast because that's giving it away. It was so jarring when it happens yeah. and it's some time before they go back to that and explain what these um, images are but yeah as you it, say flashbacks as well and yeah using film I'm not I'm not sure if these things are deliberately trying to tell a story in a peculiar way or if it is just well we can do it so uh, I like to think it is some, I like to think it's someone uh, no I, I like to think it's purposeful whether or not that is true but uh, you yeah. know I, I think I think it's someone seen saying I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a, a background in TV or something where you can you it's probably it's been done before that yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and yeah the setup is fairly classic I mean I Whatever they do with the remake, I imagine that's that's still a good springboard for a movie. One guy and, yeah, fairly inexplicably, his young daughter ha are left to transport seven prisoners who are chained together, who are just vile, aren't they? Um, yeah, there's a sort of like voiceover from uh, Sergeant Brown, he's called, isn't he? Who yeah. describes each of these characters in turn as the camera pans around this very small wagon that it's all very cramped and closed. You can yeah. almost smell the atmosphere. I very quickly, you know, you're not, you're not going to have to remember all of them because not all of them are going to make it through the film. But, uh, oh, I should have written it down. Who's the one guy who describes, is it Pyromaniac? And says... He's got one good quality. He's insane. Weasel. Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just the mountain stakes. Each of them seem to be getting worse and worse. And I think he even gets to one said, no one knows what he's in for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was Dim. Dim, uh, Dim Watson, I think he's called. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, who, Dim Marler, who looks a lot like Julian Barrett, I thought. Oh, from the Boosh, the mighty Boosh. Um, and the, the other thing that I really loved about this was that it's a Western but it's it is snowbound. All you see is snow for Fantastic. pretty much the whole film. Because it opened the opening scene is these snowy mountains as a backdrop, and I was like, I'm going to enjoy this already because yeah. it, it's already like pissing off the usual. Um, it's great the they've tropes. Yeah. So. They've already taken a different stance there. But also, I think it has a real. Um, it just makes that situation so immediate that they've got no transport. But yeah, what a great set. You you get that sense of. Um, how bleak it is that they're going to have to try and march for miles and miles through this snowbound mountain. Yeah, it's palpable, isn't mountain it? it region. really is. And the fact that you've got one guy and his daughter and all these convicts ahead of them who are singing a song taunting him, aren't they? I can't yes. remember. It's to a well-known tune. Um, oh, my darling Clementine or something. Yes, it but is. But they've changed the lyrics to sort of that pig brown or something. <laughs> and how as soon as he's closed his eyes, he's gonna what what's going to be happening to him and his daughter. And it's gonna squeal. It's horrifying, yeah, yeah, and so graphic. It's certainly aptly named. I mean, they are cutthroats. They will 
do anything for their own um, survival and gain. All of them. Yeah, because it's Cutthroat's Nine, so the sergeant and his daughter are included in that. Yeah. Um, it's, an, it's an irritating film to talk about because we can't really discuss much that happens beyond the first few minutes. Uh, I mean, did you find it needlessly gruesome or did this kind of add to it? Oh, I think it added to it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it worked really well. Um, yeah, I don't think it's comparable to uh, the kind of stuff that we used to nowadays where it's just violence for violence sake. Yeah. Uh, the, there was something about the, the, hard, <laughs> the hardship. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think is reflecting how just fucking nasty these bastards are. <laughs> I mean, is there anything you don't like about it? Well, yeah, I was an umming and ahhing about the finale. It didn't seem to make that much sense, but in a film that ha- offers so much, I, I can give it that as a pass for me. I like the ending because I think it was absolutely... I can imagine why it might be unsatisfying, but I think it's in keeping with the rest of the It's more the of the film with... Yeah, oh yes, i but I mean, I also found just on a, you know, a technical thing, the music got very repetitive in it. I think it possibly had two music tracks that they just kept using over right. and over again. I didn't. Re- it's funny because well, I'm a big fan of music people, and I like you know. I like music and I like soundtracks in general. But a bad soundtrack, I generally just don't really notice it. Whereas a good one, I'll pay attention to it. Oh no! That's probably this, quite lucky, actually. This might be some <laughs> autistic thing with me. I can't zone the music artistic. out. Artistic, so, autistic. All oh, right. <laughs> no, not artistic. Certainly not. Um, I was just looking at your notes earlier, and I think you got this one written down as well, haven't you? Oh, Charlton Heston. Yeah. yeah, the main guy, and it looks like a mixture of Charlton Heston and uh, John P. Ryan. Who's John P. Ryan? Um, you will recognise him in a film we'll be doing in a week or two. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was a he was a fairly well known character actor. He's certainly in things like Class of '99, and uh, It's Alive is the father of the cannibal babies. Uh, in that, but he's a kind of Larry Cohen. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll recognise him when you see him. So it's a very unfair thing to ask, but this is being remade. All we can judge it on from that is Harvey Keitel and um, Mads Mikkelsen. Have you got high hopes for that? Potentially. I really like Mads Mikkelsen. And, and you know, Harvey, he has his ups and downs, but <laughs> I think he's, uh, I think there's potential there. Because I'm, I'm not, I'm, to be honest, I'm not really anti remaking films or sequels or franchises. You know, oh, it's, it's, been the, it's been the staple of Hollywood and filmmaking for the last century so I don't know I'm I'm intrigued to see it yeah, yeah. and yeah this does have a very traditional setup although it, it's such a crack M one as well but um, well yeah this is so frustrating because I've got so much I'd like to talk about um, with you about this film but we're going to have to do it over a pint away from the microphone I'm afraid yeah, no, so I just want to convey I really I love this film I really recommend trying to track down a copy any way you can and I would love uh, well I'm sure we both would uh, any feedback you've got on this film, uh, I'd love to hear what other people have to think about it. Definitely. I mean, I've just started up on Facebook page um, some extra discussions. So anyone who's been listening to the shows and wants to talk about the films we've covered, not about our show, but just about the films, yeah, that'd be really good. And I think this is a this is one that Jim and I oh. both really love to go to town on. Yeah, yeehaw, partner. I've got a good mind to kill you. But we're tied up by this chain. The life of each of us depends on the life of the rest. 
Okay, the end of another show. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you're still enjoying us, if indeed you ever did. Um, but yeah, uh, keep up to speed with us. Get in touch with us. We'd, we'd love to get some feedback. Our website is midnight-video.com or you can get in touch with us on um, email at midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk. Yeah, and we're on Twitter uh, at midnightvideo and Facebook, just do a search for Midnight Video and subscribe to us on iTunes and get in yeah, yeah. video. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on Facebook, you know, joining on our discussion boards. So. Yeah, I mean, I know there's people out there who don't like Facebook. Basically, don't have the means, funds, or capabilities of setting up our own website and stuff. So we can't have a forum and. Uh, it's a good way of. Uh, yeah, we wanted to travel people. around in a hot air balloon, just going from <laughs> listener to listener, and <laughs> just recording them. <laughs> But alas, it's much easier to do Facebook, I'm afraid. So, But, you know, amongst people who have got back in touch with us, uh, just want to have a quick shout-out to Giles Edwards. Um, hi, Giles. Um, who's been... Oh. Hi. Who, um, yeah, for better or for worse, um, heard a, a review of Hellraiser Bloodline and has uh, decided to check out the sequels himself. So I'm, I'm keen to hear what you think of those, Giles. Definitely, yeah. Because I've sat through them all now. Oh, you've finished them. Yeah. It's not fair. Um, I might talk about them on another show, because I do want to hear what Giles says, so I might sort of try and dovetail oh, yeah. their reviews. Okay, and I'd like to say thanks to Sasha Eichholz, um, who emailed in and he was quite taken with the um, split-second review that we did with old Hutra Hauer. <laughs> Blimey. And he was recommending Salute of the Jugger, which I'm more than familiar with. Um, the sort of weird post-apocalyptic game that developed in that movie, not in real life, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it oh, did well. develop into real life actually in Europe. In I think some German guys started playing in nineteen thirty. There was a whole league that formed, like a European league. It might it's even true. be worldwide now. Yeah. Bizarre. Oh well. But yeah, I mean, you know, you never know. We might get around to uh, reviewing a salute to the jug. I'm, I'm always up for a bit of Howard, to be honest. Yeah, and we're gonna have a game of rollerball later, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and one final one is like uh, a big hello to Lee and his little one Harrison and his Mrs Hazel, uh, aka Count Fosco. That is Lee Howard, who the Movie Matters podcast, who are very soon gonna be recording a Giallo um, special which will be quite exciting because again it's well for me it's not something that I know that much about I've just dipped my toe in so you know watch this space we might we might uh, contend that oh, contest sure that contest it what is it condom yeah we'll do something with yellow soon yeah. enough but we'll do something yellow <laughs> <laughs> I feel like doing that now actually <laughs> so good night see you again soon auf Wiedersehen いろんな表情がある。不思議。命の不思議見つめます。先端技術の島津です。